Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Well, let's start here. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. Well, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? Well, why is this happening to me? What was happening? Well, her two kids, while they were still in the womb, they were arguing. They were fighting with each other. You know what you call that? Family. You call that family. They started while they were still in the womb. Verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Now, these weren't just any boys. These were boys that were born into privilege. These were the sons of Isaac. These were the grandsons of Abraham. In an era when many were born as servants, they were born as masters. In an era when many were born into poverty, they were born into wealth and freedom and honor and status. Well, this is where the similarities between these two boys ends. They were twins, but they were very different. When I think of Esau, I think big man, big truck, big gun. I mean, this guy, he he was a big time outdoorsman. The Bible even tells us he was hairy, grizzly bear of a man, not Jacob. Look at verse 27 tells us this. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Well, Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. So while Esau is out riding Harleys with dad, Jacob, he's staying home cooking in the kitchen with mom. These boys, they're, they're different. But the most significant difference between Jacob and Esau was this, their age. They were twins, right? They're not that much different. They were only separated by seconds, but those seconds were a big deal. Esau was the oldest. So Esau, he was the firstborn son, which meant he was the sole bearer of the birthright. Now, birthright to us today, that's like a, an uncommon foreign concept. But well, let me explain that to you this way. I've got three kids. They're different. One of my kids is more competitive than the others. You know, game nights don't always end well. Anybody got one or two like that? Another one, uh, my kids is more structured than the others. Want to mess with their world? Just rearrange the furniture. That might do it. And another one of my kids is more compassionate, more tender-hearted than the others. Must get that from mama. That's what I'm thinking. We got three kids and we recognize they're different. And we do our best to treat them all and to value them all equally. That, that's not the way they did things in the Old Testament. Check this out. 
Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 says, The firstborn, by giving him a double share of all he has, the son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. The right of the firstborn, the birthright. And it included a double portion of the inheritance. Double. Leadership of the family, and in this case, the recipient of the covenant blessing, which meant the favor of the Lord and the, the inherited land of Canaan. Being the firstborn, firstborn son was treated differently. Firstborn son, well, that meant something. Verse 29, when Jacob, secondborn son, was cooking some stew, Esau, firstborn son, came in from the open country famished. So one day, the Bible tells us a story, Jacob, he's cooking some stew, and along comes crown prince Esau. And Esau's been doing what Esau does. You know, he's out in the fields, he's hunting, and he's camping, he's doing his outdoor thing. Well, he sees the food, and the the food smells good, and it looks good, and it'll taste good. So Esau says this, verse 30, he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Well, makes sense. That's a fair request. But Jacob says, well, let's make a deal. You have something that I want, and I have something that you want. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. See, this isn't the two brothers hanging out in a room trading baseball cards with each other. Stakes were really high. Jacob asked for the birthright. Think, man, that, that's a big deal. How manipulative can he get? How could Jacob do that? How could Jacob do that to his own flesh and blood? How could he do that to his own brother? Jacob kind of gets a bad rap from what he does in this passage, you know, doing this to, to his own brother. But I'm not so sure that's accurate. Look closer. Verse 30 Esau said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Well, what did Jacob do? Jacob said this. Next verse, verse 31. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, okay, deal. Jacob flat out says, first, sell me your birthright. And I wonder, was that deceptive? Well, no. Was that underhanded? No. Was that deceitful? No. He flat out says, verse 31, sell me your birthright. He's not being dishonest. He's not being sneaky. He didn't swindle Esau. He didn't lie to Esau. Verse 31, he asked him point blank, sell me your birthright. Way I read that, Jacob, full disclosure. The terms of this deal, they were clearly stated and clearly laid out. Sell me your birthright. Nothing hidden here. Nothing under the table. Uh, way I interpret it, this isn't so much Jacob's bad. This is Esau's. What was he thinking? Verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. He sacrificed his birthright for some stew. 
He sacrificed his birthright for some stew. We look at that and say, man, that was blatant. That was impulsive. That was flat out stupid. Why did he do that? He sacrificed his future for his present. Who in the world would fall for that? We do. This is this is the culture. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that says, well, buy it now. Get it now. Have it now. Enjoy it now. And you don't have to pay for it until later. Play now. Have a great time now. Work. You can do that later. Feel good now. Do what you want to do now. You can obey later. See, this instant gratification, when we peel back the, the layers, the reality is instant gratification is very likely at the root of many of our life fails. Serving our desires at the expense of our principles. Seeking momentary pleasure while overlooking long-term consequences. That Doing life that way based on this is what I feel like doing right now. This is what I desire to do right now. That That's popular. And that's what Esau did. We look at this and say, what was he thinking? We look back years later and say, man, that wasn't very smart. But in the moment, it was exactly what he felt like doing. Basing our life decisions on what feels and seems good to me right now. God is saying in this, that is a a poor platform for making decisions in life. And it's a platform that often leaves God and his way out of the equation. Well, Obadiah. In the book of Obadiah, these people, they knew God's way. But they, even though they knew God's way, they preferred to do life their way. They wanted God. They wanted God to protect them. And they wanted God to provide for them. And they wanted God to bless them. But they didn't want God to rule them. They didn't want God to tell them what to do. They didn't want God to tell them what was right. And they didn't want God to tell them what was wrong. They wanted the blessings of God without the obedience to God. This is fascinating to me. This book of Obadiah is like 3,000 years old. Pretty relevant, don't you think? They wanted the blessings of God without the obedience of God to God. And so they, they blow God off. Verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, well, who can bring me down to the ground? Disobedience. They said, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the way that I want to live. And we'll just see what happens. There won't be any negative consequences for that, will there? Disobedience, rebellion. So what does God do? What should God do? Put yourself in his place. If you were God and, and you see your kids doing this, what would you do? Let's say you're mom and dad. And you've got a little ankle biter who does something along the lines of, of this. What does that kid need? 
And no, the correct answer is not a cookie. No, that kid doesn't need a treat. That kid needs a little bit of discipline. God, he, he's our maker. He's our creator. And he knows what's good. And he knows what's best for us. And his ways aren't just random. He's got reasons. And so like any good loving parent, from time to time, he's going to bring in some discipline. That's what's happening here. Verse 4. Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You know, sometimes we need discipline. Well, why? Not because God is mean and not because God is cruel, but because he's our loving father. The the discipline of God, well, it's not intended to harm us. It's intended to help us. The discipline of God, it's not punitive. It's corrective. God doesn't discipline out of anger. He disciplines out of, out of love. God, he's a good father. And so as a good father, he's going to, from time to time, discipline his children. He loves us. He wants to mature us. He wants to grow us. He wants what's best for us. God explains that to us this way. in The New Testament book of Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 5 says, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. It's true. It's an important perspective for us to have in life. God disciplines those he loves. But. That's not his preferred method. God disciplines those he loves, but God doesn't love discipline. God's not just waiting up in heaven for us to mess up so that he can bring down the hammer. He loves us. He's this great, big, loving daddy, and he'll discipline us when we need it. He'll discipline us to to shape us and to protect us and to correct us. But he'd rather not. He'd rather we just... Trust and obey. That's his preference. He puts that this way in the Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 67. Here's a person speaking about following the Lord. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. So this is a person who, who wasn't following the way of the Lord, who's doing what they wanted to do. And then they switch up and they say, now I, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to trust your word. Look at what they experience in life. They say, you now you are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. They realize they experience God when I trust and follow me really is what well, he's good. See, God didn't preserve this book of Obadiah for 3,000 some years just to scare us. He preserved this book of Obadiah for all of these years to protect us. In this book of Obadiah, God is saying that what happened to them, that does not have to be you. I don't want that to be you. 
I love you and I don't desire that for you. You don't have to repeat their mistakes. You don't have to suffer the same lessons. You don't have to learn things the hard way. You don't have to wait for the consequences. See, you and I, we don't have to wait years, you know, spending years in tears learning the lessons that that these people back in Obadiah learned. We can repeat them or we can learn from them. Wisdom, the guidance of the Lord, it is here. It's in this book and it is available to every one of us. It's ours for the taking. Well, one more thing in here, and maybe let, let me get at this, that this way. It's kind of like what happens next is kind of like, well, like this image. Mom, come see the kittens. Those aren't kittens, right? Those are baby skunks. Things aren't always what they think, what we think they are. Sometimes it looks like one thing, but it's actually something else. That's going on here in the book of Obadiah. We look a little bit closer in the book of Obadiah. There's actually a twist, pretty significant twist in this book of the Bible. And it's found right in verse one. Listen for it. Verse one, chapter one, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. You hear it? Obadiah is different than most of the other books in the Old Testament Obadiah is not written to the nation of Israel. Obadiah is written about the nation of Edom. Like, wait a minute. Well, who's Edom? What were these guys doing? Why is this even in the Bible? Verse 6. Another clue. But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. Esau. Remember how this message started? I wasn't just killing time. I'm going to get back to that. Esau traded his birthright to his, his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. Well, Jacob, his descendants become the nation of Israel. Esau, his descendants become, well, these people, the nation of Edom. See, Obadiah is not a prophecy against the nation of Israel. Obadiah is a prophecy against the nation of Edom. So, okay, well, why? What were they doing? What were they doing wrong? Obadiah was written after the Babylonian army came in, conquered the nation of Israel. It was written after Jerusalem, the city, was burned to the ground. It was written after many of the people of Israel were taken out of the land and taken into exile. Now that you know that, you might be able to understand this. Verse 10. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. What's the issue? What's going on here? What's Obadiah about? Well, it's right there. It says, on the day you stood aloof. 
See, when Jerusalem was burned, Edom, they just stood and watched. When Israel was being oppressed, Edom, they just ignored. When Israel was being ransacked, Edom, they did nothing. 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 And these guys, Israel and Edom, they they were brothers. But they did nothing. They didn't. The issue here, they didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do anything right. They, They weren't hurting anybody, but they weren't helping anybody. They weren't abusing their gifts and skills. They just weren't using them. What's going on in here? The Edomites did nothing. Well, this is the sin of omission. This is apathy. This is passivity. It's not what Edom did wrong. It's what they didn't do right. The calling of Jesus isn't just to refrain from evil. We have been redeemed from sin so that we can do good. So that we can represent Jesus. So that we can be a blessing in this world. Edom, they had an opportunity. They had a responsibility to lead, to act, to help. But they did nothing. They chose just to to live their quiet, peaceful, little lives. Does anybody else have that tendency? Because I sure do. I think it's a whole lot easier to do nothing than to do something. The people in need that we never serve. The relationships that we never deepen. The prayers we never pray. The adventures we never take. The races we never run. The battles we never fight. The evil we never confront. The words we never say. You and I, we have been made to do more than nothing. Obadiah, don't let this story, don't let it be your story. It's a whole lot easier to disengage. It's a whole lot easier to say, well, I'm just going to mind my my business. I'm just going to get along with my quiet little life. It's a whole lot easier to do nothing. But the greatest tragedies in life are often not what we do, but what we fail to do. Because evil, evil does not give up without a fight. We are prone to take the path of least resistance, but that is rarely the best path to take. Is there anything that God might be prompting you to step into today? Maybe it's kind of like what was going on with Edom. Maybe there's a person in your life who who's in a bad place. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe it's pain. Maybe they're just in a place far from the Lord. But whatever it is, you know, God is saying, hey, I put you in their life for a reason. And he's prompting you to say, well, do do something, encourage them, do something that would be of value. Or maybe it's kind of like what was going on here, too. There was a lot of injustice that was going on here. Maybe God's calling you to be able to confront some form of injustice. Are there injustices going on in our culture? Well, certainly there are. 
Or maybe it's a habit that, that he's working in you, calling you to stop. Maybe it's a gift that you have that you could offer to, to others. Maybe there's a person that you could help. Are you willing to enter in? Are you willing to invest? Are you willing to engage? Are you willing to rise above comfort and rise above convenience and do something? We cannot follow God in neutral. We cannot follow God in neutral. Jesus didn't come to this earth and give his life on the cross and rise from the dead just so we could sing songs and stay far away from evil. There is something bigger. There's something greater. There is something deeper. We have been redeemed from sin and we have been given resurrection power. Why? This little book of Obadiah hidden in the back pages of the Old Testament shows us our calling is not to hide and watch the city burn. Our calling is not to stand back while other people around us are are getting hurt or are getting mistreated. Our calling is not to be passive. Our calling is not to do nothing. Evil does not give up without a fight. The calling of Jesus is not just to abstain from evil. It's to do good. To advance His kingdom. To help people to bless this world. I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to just create a space to listen directly to God. We have this amazing gift. God gives the Holy Spirit to his followers and getting in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit, vital to, to our spiritual lives. Because he can take passages like this in the Bible, Bible and apply them very specifically to each one of our situations. So I'm going to create a little space here. And what I invite you to do is just to listen. And ask God, God, is, is there something or is there someone that you are inviting, that you are calling me to step into action? Speak, Lord. We're listening. Well, for, for some of you, someone or something came into your mind or into your spirit. And that's probably the Holy Spirit. And I really encourage you, get in touch with that voice. Learn to recognize that voice. Learn to, to spend time getting 
familiar with that voice because, man, it can lead us every day of our lives. And if there is someone or something that he put in your heart or your mind, I'd encourage you to go there, to do that, to act on that. Or maybe, you know, if there wasn't something specific that was spoken to you, but there's still this desire to say, man, I'd like to, to serve. I like to do something to be able to be a blessing. Well, we can help with that as a church. One of the things that's very central to our calling is to be a place that makes this world better. And so if, if you're looking for ways to do that, we have ministries designed for that. Go to our website. It's ridgelife.org and go to the serving tab. And in the serving tab, you'll find a whole lot of ministries and opportunities. And every single one of these, they're, they're geared toward blessing the world that we live in and You're invited to to participate in any of those. We're an open church. We'd love to have you say, I want to be a part of that. So again, it's website, ridgelife.org. Check out the, the serve tab. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, Uh, Be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday. And we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.